The Start On Demand. On demand. We learned Tuesday that Peter Nygaard has been arrested and faces nine charges, including sex trafficking. So we'll discuss some of that, and we'll discuss convicted sex offender Graham James, because Winnipeg Free Press writer Jeff Hamilton has put together a series on James, and we'll speak to one of James's victims. A city committee has been put together to look at the development of the downtown Hudson's Bay, and we asked the question, can it realistically be redeveloped? And we had a lot of fun today talking about cleanliness standoffs after a Washington mom said enough is enough when her 10-year-old daughter simply refused to pick up her dirty sock. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on vacation. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, December 16th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is back next week. Big day in Manitoba today, Greg. Vaccination day. The very first Manitobans will be vaccinated today. It is a huge deal. We've been seeing the video from all over the world. First in London, England, uh, several days ago. And then in the United States, the planes have been landing. The vaccine has been distributed. And today is, you're right, it's our turn to have someone roll up their sleeve for the very first time and have the vaccine inserted, injected into their body. It is, uh, as some people have been calling it, it is the beginning of the uh, last chapter, hopefully, in brackets, of this uh, worldwide pandemic. Now, yesterday morning for the question of the day, and they carried it yesterday afternoon, question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. The question was, if you're on the fence about getting the vaccine, would being prohibited from going to restaurants, concerts, or football games change your mind? Because we were talking about the uh, immunity passport The idea that, you know, you might need a document to carry around to let you get into certain things. And at CJOB.com, 59% say no, that wouldn't change your mind. And 41% said yes, whereas on both Twitter and Instagram, it was the reverse. It was about, well, Twitter is 60%, yes, 40% no, and it was about the same on our Instagram. So we appreciate everybody for weighing in on that. You can still cast your vote, by the way, at cjob.com, or if you just scroll down on Twitter, you'll be able to find the poll there. And we'll have more on the vaccine in our next segment, also coming up this half hour and later on in the show The big news yesterday that was just breaking towards the end of our show, Peter Nygaard, arrested. Yeah, if you read the court documents, the allegations against him are sickening. They're disgusting. I won't say any more than that because this is now before the courts, and we will find out if Peter Nygaard gets extradited to the United States. uh, American authorities were involved in this and requested his arrest uh, based on Court documents uh, out of New York, uh, Brett, uh, this is uh, absolutely horrific should these allegations be proven in court. And uh, so many Winnipeggers involved in this class action lawsuit against Peter Nygaard. Uh, This story, uh, for as long as it's been a part of our community with rumors and murmurs and, and whispers, 
uh, is about to take the international stage. So you can read more at cjob.com and we'll have more details coming up at 6.37. And at 7.07, excited to hear more of this because I missed this chat yesterday with Hal Anderson on Hal Anderson Afternoons. He spoke with Kate Fenske, downtown Winnipeg Biz. There's a committee that's been struck to look at what are we going to do with the bay? Yeah, Kate Fenske, we spoke with her the day after the bay announced that it was closing its downtown location. Just basically all of a sudden, one day they said, yeah, today's the last day. Well, now you've got this iconic building. They've actually already taken the sign down, Brett. They've oh, wow. really moved quickly on that. So now you have this iconic building, this beautiful piece of architecture at the corner of Memorial and Portage Avenue, 450 Portage. I don't think I knew its actual address until yesterday when I read the release that this committee had been put together and struck. I commend uh, Mayor Brian Bowman for doing this so quickly. We don't want to see that building sitting idle for very long, and I think that's the goal here is to kickstart the conversation about what happens next with that site, with that building, all sorts of different challenges because, A, the building is so big, there are materials inside that building that are going to have to be treated with kid gloves in order to get rid of them. Probably lots of asbestos uh, involved in that building should they decide to and find a way to to save a, a good part of that structure. It's, of course, a protected building, but there are always ways around around that. So we'll hear what uh, Kate and Hal had to talk about uh, just after 7 o'clock this morning and maybe get your feedback on what you think should happen with that space. And at 6.45, I am excited about this conversation we're going to have, and this is going to be the impetus for our Canadian's Winter Wonderland car pass today at 204-780-6868. A standoff over cleanliness. This is a Washington Post story you sent me yesterday. The headline is how a mother-daughter standoff over a dirty sock became a viral sensation. Ten-year-old girl leaves her dirty sock on the bathroom floor for over a week. So her mom <laughs> got creative and turned it into a museum exhibit. She put it, printed a museum sign and put it on the wall over the sock. And then over the coming days, she added more stuff around this thing. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a bunch of little toy cows looking at a monolith. <laughs> and then as the week went on, more and more toys started circulating to the point where they actually finally had to remove it because it it was getting impossible to, to avoid stepping on it in the small bathroom. <laughs> the the measures which parents will take in order to try and encourage cleanup after themselves, they, they don't always work. Let's face it. Sometimes you have to yell. Sometimes you have to kick and scream. And sometimes you have to take extraordinary measures. Uh, this one has taken on an, an entire life of its own. But I think we're going to have a chat about some of the things that maybe our parents did or maybe parents of people that you've known along the way, what they did in order to uh, get you to clean up your act. Fashion designer Peter Nygaard is in custody in Winnipeg, facing extradition to the U.S. on numerous charges, including sex trafficking. Global's Joe Scarpelli was there yesterday as the 79-year-old made his first court appearance. Peter Nygaard entered the courtroom in shackles, a gray hoodie, and a white face mask. He then slowly made his way over to the prisoner's box, where he quickly glanced over at the media, then turned his body towards the front of the courtroom and rested his head in his hand. 
He looked nothing like the man you might recognize in these pictures. Nygaard was arrested Monday night in Winnipeg following a request from the U.S. Justice Department to begin extradition proceedings to face charges in the United States as part of an ongoing investigation by the FBI and New York Police Department. The 79-year-old is facing a total of nine charges. The charges include conspiracy to commit sex trafficking, sex trafficking of a minor by force, fraud, and several more. Dozens of women joined a class action lawsuit accusing Nygaard of rape, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Twelve of the victims were minors when they say the crimes happened. Lisa Haba is a Florida attorney representing the women. We've talked to some clients who have literally just been crying on the phone. Others have been hysterically laughing. Others have had, you know, a mixed reaction of emotions because on the one hand, while they're so incredibly overjoyed that he's being held accountable, on the other hand, it obviously brings up all the pain and anguish they've had to live with. We spoke to Nygaard's lawyer, Jay Prober, who says his client denies all allegations. Nygaard's next court appearance is scheduled for January 13th, but his lawyer says he'll be applying for bail before then. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. Global's Brittany Greenslade had a chance to hear from Peter Nygaard's son, Kai Nygaard, the day after his father was arrested on numerous serious charges, including, as mentioned, sex trafficking. The younger Nygaard said he was elated to hear the news. Peter Nygaard's eldest son, Kai, says he first heard the news early this morning and was overcome by a sense of relief, knowing that his father could soon be extradited to the United States to face severe criminal charges. We were elated with the news. Kai last spoke to his dad two days ago and says the past year has been difficult as he tries to reconcile the allegations with the person he knew growing up. Feeling like, who is this person? This isn't the, the, per- the, the father I thought I knew. Who is this other person we're hearing about, this monster? Um, it went from investigating, asking questions to constantly finding out one story after another of these horrible behaviors and actions and it's been incredibly um, intense to be on the other side of it and wonder if he was ever going to get arrested. The 38-year-old says while he's not here to condemn his father or say whether he's guilty or innocent, he does feel that the women who've accused Nygaard of serious sexual crimes deserve to also have the case heard in court. People that are are accusing him of these horrible, serious um, crimes would get their day in court, and that's what they deserve. They deserve to have their day in court. He has the right to defend himself. He has the right to be innocent until proven guilty. That's all fine. But the key is, is that he has to actually be at the trial and have this information and facts play out. Nygaard denies all the allegations, and his lawyer says he expects to be vindicated in court. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. Brett, I've got to tell you this. I know you're a... One of the couch potatoes. I don't know if you have watched Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. It's a four-part series on Jeffrey Epstein. And I cannot help but draw the parallels in my mind to the allegations against Peter Nygaard to some of the things that Jeffrey Epstein was accused of and convicted of. Uh, I'm just going to read this and, and let it stand. Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, Stories from Survivors, fuel this docu-series examining how convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein used his wealth and power to carry out his abuses, 
four-part series. The third part of that series is simply called The Island. I'll leave it there. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week. This conversation will be your chance to win yourself a car pass for Canadians Winter Wonderland at the Red River Exhibition Park. And it has to do with the headline at the Washington Post, how a mother-daughter standoff over a dirty sock became a viral sensation. Greg, what's the gist of this story? The gist of this story is that uh, if you don't clean up after yourself, we're going to make an example. And uh, basically, I think it's a line in the sand, right? It's like, if you, don't, if you don't do this, I'm not doing it. I'm not picking up after you any longer. Clearly, you feel this is part of the furniture. So let's make the dirty sock part of the furniture. So what the mother did is she turned the dirty sock into a museum exhibit in the bathroom, first putting a little museum sign over it and then adding a little mini monolith and some cows and some dog toys (laughs) and then eventually some little, looks like Playmobil-style children and uh, to the point where they finally had to remove said exhibit from the bathroom because they were stepping on it. Uh, So at this point, it looks like it's been shared 100 150,000 times. So we wanted to have a chat about cleanliness standoffs, whether it's something that happened with your parents or maybe your kids for those who have kids or maybe a roommate. So let's go around the horn here. Kelly Moore, why don't we start with you? Well, uh, way, way back, I uh, shared a mobile trailer, mobile home uh, with two other guys I was working with at a radio station in Kamloops. I would have been in my late teens or early 20s back then. And you know, even then, I was still a bit of a neat freak, but my two room, roommates weren't. So after a while, I got tired of coming home and finding a sink full of dirty dishes and the kitchen floor looking like it had been, uh, you know, peanut butter and jam had been spread on it. So finally, one Friday night, I broke and I took half of those dirty dishes and put them in the bed of one of my roommates and took the other half and put them in the other bed. Well, they got home from the bar, climbed into bed, and all of a sudden, well, I won't even, I can't say what they said. Uh, but anyway, a, a short discussion ensued the next day, and it was agreed that we would probably all go our separate ways after that. Oh, wow. The end yeah. of the, the it was the end of an era. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Kelly. You made a stand. You took a stand, and I salute you for that. Jeff Braun, what about you? I've been, I've been living alone for the last twenty years, and it's lucky for anyone else that I do because uh, I'm like Kelly. I have got a I have no patience for messiness like that, especially when it's so easily avoidable. And I I believe my turn into a neat freak happened when I was a teenager because I grossed myself out once to the point where I, <laughs> I was like, nope, we can't, I can't live like this anymore. And there was something in my bedroom that kept stinking and stinking and the smell was getting worse and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I finally really looked around and I found uh, half a bowl of cereal under my bed oh. of Lucky Charms with the milk still in it, but oh. the milk had turned solid. Like it was oh. beyond yogurt. It was, I don't know. It was It just, was petrified. It was yeah, it was so gross. And I didn't, I just, I went, took it straight to the garage and threw the bowl and everything in the garbage. It's like, nope, that bowl is lost. There's no cleaning that. Your mom's still looking for that bowl, Jeff? 
Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeff Forte, what about you? And actually, that reminded me of being a teenager and just leaving a glass of milk on my desk and it would just go bad. And I just leave it there. Um, <laughs> For how long? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. It would just be bad. <laughs> but uh, one of my pet peeves is, you know, like, rin- and I- I've said this before, rinsing the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher because the worst thing is when you take them out and you're putting them away and there's, like, still grind grindy food on it and it would just tick me off and like sometimes i'd just be like you know what screw it i'm putting it back in the cupboard so the next person who takes it out sees it and goes oh well this is no good gotta put it back in the dishwasher but the worst part is when i would take it back out of the cupboard myself and i'd see that i'd get more angry (laughs) so you put it back in for someone else to see it and then i'd pull it out (laughs) so is this a who is the oh this would be back when i was living at home so it's your parents Yes, my parents are my brother. I don't know. All three of them. I'd blame all three of them. For wow. <laughs> or else, or else. Also, another thing is cutlery. Like when you empty a dishwasher, put the cutlery in the right spots. The yes. little spoons go with the little spoons. Yes. The big spoons go with the big spoons. You know, it just—it's so easy. And one time, I got so angry that I just messed up all the cutlery. And I walked away. <laughs> that reminds me of something that happened on this front uh, when I was just a little little kid. Because my mom, like my entire life when I lived at home she was always on me to clean my room and when I was like a little kid I don't remember how old I was but all my toys were just piled up in the closet like it like piled up it was just a mountain completely disorganized but it was kind of like it sort of became like I, I turned it into a sort of a, a play area where I would use that mess as part of whatever scene I had in my head. And one day I came home and my mom had gone in there and very nicely organized all the toys and cleaned them all up and set them up so that I could access them all easily. But I was so infuriated because I wanted my pile back. So I immediately made a mess of them and tried to pile them back up in the same way. Um, but it didn't work. And I, I still feel bad about that. And the time that my mom later cleaned my room as a teenager because I refused to do it for months. And she finally <laughs> did it herself. And it took me months after that to figure out where she had put everything. So, Well, when you told yeah. me that story about that pile of toys, a lot of people will say, hey, that's my mess. I know where everything is. You know, you have a desk and people want to come in and clean up. There is a, such a thing as an organized mess. Yep. There are some people who work that way, and I happen to be somebody that works that way. So <laughs> leave my stuff alone. Well, do you got a standoff story, Greg? I do. It doesn't involve me. It was someone that I dated years ago. It was the best story ever. She ended up uh, living in the, the home that she grew up in. She bought her parents' home, and she told me about the story. This was the cleanest person I have ever dated, with all due res- respect to anybody else. She was the cleanest person I've ever known. She told me about the story that she went to school one day after days of arguing with her mother about keeping her room clean. She came home to every single thing she owned in the carport. <laughs> We want to start this hour by talking about how Mayor Brian Bowman yesterday announced the formation of the Bay Downtown Advisory Committee. As you might imagine, the group will advise and generate ideas and will look at 
ways to create opportunities for the future use of the Hudson's Bay Company's landmark former downtown location at 450 Portage Avenue. As I mentioned earlier, Brett, I don't know if I ever knew the address of the Bay Store. The committee includes economic development advocates, real estate experts, local politicians and business leaders. Maybe you should have more community people on that board, but I digress. One of the members of the committee is Kate Fenske, CEO of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz. Kate visited with Hal Anderson yesterday afternoon to give us some insight on the challenges and the commitment to make sure something impactful takes place on that site. It is a really important building in our city, in our downtown, um, and obviously no easy job. So the group that the mayor has appointed, um, you know, we're really excited to get to work to have a conversation. Um, and Hal, I may reach out to you just if we need some extra help on this one, because we know there's no easy answer. Um, you know, retail has really been shifting over the years. We know that. Um, we're dealing with challenges from the pandemic right now. And so this is a really good opportunity, you know, with the unfortunate closure of the Bay. And, and it's really sad that, you know, none of us got to go in there for one last visit to say goodbye or to do some last minute shopping. But, you know, we're working with, with the cards that we have. And I think it's really great that the mayor has uh, taken on the leadership to bring this committee uh, of key stakeholders together to look at what is possible. And there's been so many conversations over the years, um, lots of different ideas that have been And I think what's important for us right now is to just begin that discussion uh, to explore what the possibilities are for the future. We often joke about it. I was prepared to make the joke today. Hal mentioned it, though. Water park. And more seriously. Going to keep the building? Uh, Is it possible that the building might not stay and the land be used? What's on or off the table at this point? Or is everything wide open for discussion? I think we want to make sure that we're looking at all options, but I would be surprised if there was a water park there, Hell, yeah. um, you know, but it, it's important for us to, to look at really the, the context of the building. I mean, it is one of the largest footprints in our downtown, um, and there is so much history there. It also has heritage status, right? So um, there's protection around the building. So it's going to be a challenge for, for sure to figure out what is the right fit, but that's what's really important and really exciting for me is what is the future of our downtown look like you know there's so many major projects happening right now with a combined construction value of about a billion dollars downtown and so even in these challenging times around covid those projects are still happening so you know you have the expansion with how york at the winnipeg art gallery you have true north square and wawanese's fifth tower coming you have the portage place redevelopment right across the street from the bay that's still on the table 300 main um, you know that will soon be the tallest building in winnipeg rail side at the forks there's a lot that's happening in our downtown and when I think about you know sort of what we're looking at in terms of the future of our city and how downtown supports everyone who lives here I see the bay as a bit of that corner piece of the puzzle right you can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together but those corner pieces you got to have and that really drives the future Fenske asked the question, which is really at the heart of this entire process. And so what is it that our city needs? You know, um, you know, Mayor has often talked about how our population is growing, and that's also growing in our downtown core. There's about 16,000 people that live downtown right now. We're expecting another 2,000 people to call downtown Winnipeg home in just the next two years. So what does that mix look like? What are options available out there for people that might want to live downtown, whether it's people that are downsizing or students, young professionals, and even young families? 
So whether you visit downtown or not, live downtown or not, this is going to be a major decision for the face and composition of what downtown becomes over the next decade or so, Brett McGarry. I know the water park is not likely to happen, but I wish it were to happen. Keep beating that drum. I'll beat it with you because I think we need I think we need it. I think it's an imperative part of uh, of what we should have here in Winnipeg. I, I, I will not uh, I will not give up on a water park. And that built like I think that building would be big enough to house a, a pretty substantial indoor water park, would it not? Well, you've been inside Bell MTS Place. Could you imagine that hollowed out? And you put a water park inside of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the bay is even a little... Well, it is longer because uh, it might be the same width, but it goes past Graham Avenue. So it was, in fact, uh, a bigger building than the Eaton's building was. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, so there that, you go. That's right, because you could probably drop that water park in West Edmonton Mall into Bell MTS Place, I would think. Pretty close. I'd have to do the math. I'd have to take a look at the schematics, Brett. But uh, <laughs> I, I think you're in, the, you're in the right ballpark for sure. <laughs> Text us at 204-780-6868. The cleanliness standoffs you've had in your home for a chance to win a car pass for Canadian's Winter Wonderland. And Greg, I see you like Elaine's text. I, I do like Elaine's text. I once went toe-to-toe with my husband. I was fed up with seeing his dirty laundry on the floor right beside the laundry basket and constantly picking up other items he left wherever I even found a block of cheese in the bathroom. What? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm just reading. I'm just a messenger. So for three weeks, everything I would pick up, uh, uh, I, something up after him, I would pile it in a spare room. The third week in, I was frustrated as he did not even notice that things were missing, including most of the dishes in the house. I got so angry, I wet all his socks and tied them in tiny knots that were impossible to undo. He finally realized what I'd been doing over the past several weeks. He put everything away and did not speak to me for weeks. He finally got the point of how much I picked after him, picked up after him, and apologized. It did, did, it did not last long, hence he is now my ex-husband. Wow. Well, <laughs> Elaine, good for you. Sometimes you got to draw that line in the sand. It can be easier to just give in and do it and clean up, but sometimes you got to make your stand. So text us at 204-780-6868, your cleanliness standoff for a chance to win that car pass for Winter Wonderland. One of Winnipeg's most well-known citizens is making international headlines today. Fashion mogul Peter Nygaard has been arrested on sex trafficking charges. The allegations in the court documents are horrifying and sickening. Another Winnipegger is one of Canada's most infamous pedophiles and sex offenders. His name is Graham James. James was a part of not only the Winnipeg hockey community going back to the 1970s, he also worked as a substitute teacher in St. James. He was the coach and general manager of the Swift Current Broncos from 1986 to 1994. He was so good at that job, he was named Man of the Year by the Hockey News in 1989, Brett. Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press has spent three years researching and interviewing dozens of people for his multi-part series about Graham James and the trail of devastation his actions have left 
all across Western Canada. Jeff, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. So, Jeff, is it possible to overstate the negative imprint that Graham James has left on Winnipeg, on Swift Current, on Moose Jaw? Uh, really good question. Uh, um, absolutely not. I mean, the problem is, I'd argue, even though despite you know everyone, at least from a certain generation, I'd argue the new generation or the most recent generation probably doesn't know a lot about Graham James, but certainly you know someone my age, 34 years old and, and older, um, would definitely know who he is. Um, despite all that kind of you know, public awareness and, and uh, all the stories that we've heard out of Swift Current from obviously former NHLers like Theo Fleury and, and Sheldon Kennedy and, and some of the other victims, of course. Um, it still doesn't paint, um, I would argue, even the surface of, of, of the carnage that Graham James left in his wake. Um, this is a guy who who we first know abused um, in 1971 when he was a nine, when he was 19 years old. Now he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't convicted of that charge when he was 19 years old. That came a year into his uh, three and a half year sentence um, for abusing Kennedy and another unnamed player on the Swift Current Broncos. Um, but if you ask any experts, professionals in in uh, in sexual abuse and violence, uh, usually when you you know the first incident that you get caught for usually isn't the first one. Uh, so assuming that you could assume it was before he was 19 years old, um, and certainly when you look at the carnage that uh, that that we do know of Graham James as far as like the legal court systems and whatnot, you know, all through the 80s and into the 90s, very rarely do these serial sexual predators take time off. Um, so to suggest that he went an entire decade uh, between that first assault uh, and then when he, he ran into essentially Theo Fleury and Sheldon Kennedy, um, you know, would be, <laughs> would be certainly a, a ridiculous comment. So, you know, as far as understating, can you can you overstate it? Uh, I don't think you can. I would argue it's it's certainly been understated, just, uh, despite all the all the details that we do know publicly. Jeff, these aren't just hockey stories; they're very human stories, and the toll James had on people in our community is overwhelming. Tell us about this journey for you, from conception to printing this series, three pages in uh, what today's Winnipeg Free Press alone. Yeah, you know, it's, it's obviously been a, a long journey, you know, at times certainly emotional. It's, uh, it's, a tough, it's a tough subject to talk about. You know, it's one of the big reasons why Graham James was able to, to prey on kids for so long is because of the discomfort that comes with, you know, talking about sexual abuse, sexual violence. But um, as far as the story goes, I got called into my editor's office around, you know, I don't even know if it was 2016-ish, you know, it, it's been, like I said, it's been more than three years, but I remember getting into that office and, and, and you know, my, my, my editors know I'm not just a, a typical sports reporter in, in the sense that, you know, I want, you know, I want bigger projects. I, I want, you know, to get on something that's going to, you know, be a bit more than the games and, and profiles on players and, and they suggested this uh, suggested this idea to me. Uh, it had been something that the free press had been kind of working with early on, particularly when um, Greg Gahuli and and who I know you have coming on later and and Theo Fleury and Todd Holt came forward and pressed charges against Graham in 2010. That kind of was the first time the free press was wondering, well, you know, all, look at all these abuses. Like, did anybody else, you know, in and around Graham James know about this? Should they have known about it? 
anyways, long story longer, um, I come from St. James. I'm a St. James guy. I went to Silver Heights Collegiate, the same high school that Graham James went to. I played in the St. James Canadians hockey system, the same, um, the same association that uh, Graham James cut his teeth coaching. Uh, and so I have a lot of contacts in St. James. You know, uh, you know obviously, yeah, everyone who lives in St. James know that not many people move. It's a big thing to move past Polo Park. So a lot of people remain, uh, remain in the community, and I'd heard some rumors. So I just, you know, I got to, got to just starting with some conversations. And that's one of the big things I get asked is, you know, obviously the challenges and talking to, you know, potential victims or victims in a lot of cases, obviously people that were around Graham James, you know, they don't love talking about it. People don't want to be associated to him um, at all. So, you know, but before I could even get to those conversations, I had to learn everything I possibly could about the situation. And that was, you know, that included reading people like Greg Gahuli's book, Theo's book, Sheldon's book multiple times. Um, finding out about sexual violence, talk, you know, find out more about hockey culture so that when I did get to these interviews where they would be tough conversations, whether they were people that Graham abused or people that were around Graham while he was abusing, I knew what I was talking about, you know, so, or more importantly, you know, I, you know, I couldn't, someone couldn't pull the wool over my eyes. So if, if they said something that didn't add up, I could challenge them. So it's, you know, it's a long roundabout way of saying that it, it, it was a, you know, it was a challenging it was a challenging journey, but it was also very rewarding. And at times, you know, I never imagined I'd get to this point where I'd be able to show the public, you know, this this vast research and, and, and this number of stories. Um, but I just kept pushing on and on because of people like Jay McCauley in the, cha- in the first chapter and, and others who, who shared, you know, in some cases, their most vulnerable truths with me and trusted me with their stories. That was my, that was my motivation from the beginning. So um, I always knew that I would maybe get there and, and, uh, and, and then to finally be here is, is just, uh, you know, it's a really proud moment. Now, Graham James was as a hockey coach and scout respected in that circle. I mean, as Greg mentioned, you know, named man of the year by the hockey news, some of the people that he worked with or had contact with, you know, they're not just people just kind of, nameless or faceless Manitobans, you know, there are individuals, not to suggest that they're any less important, but these are individuals that a lot of Manitobans are going to know of and are familiar with. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is you, you don't become a popular name in hockey. You don't win awards like the Hockey Man of the Year Award, as you mentioned from the Hockey News. Um, I certainly don't think Graham would ever win Man of the Year by any stretch, but... Um, but at the at the same time, you don't you don't get to that level and not brush shoulders with people. You know, there's a lot of people that are currently in the NHL, whether they're coaches, um, retired, or some still active. A lot of people knew Graham James. In fact, I'd argue that anyone who's prominent in hockey at this point, you know, I'm not saying they were friends with him, but would have known him and would have you know would have been in and around um, that culture and and uh, while, while they were trying to cut their teeth in the in the WHL and, and lead those NHL deals. So, you know, you've already seen some names. Uh, you know, in in some of my articles so far, you know, associated with Graham, and you know, there was obviously that, you know, really awful, um, you know, sworn affidavit from the Winnipeg Warriors player that I just happened to come across late, late Sunday night. Um, you know, that that attaches some people, you know, pretty close to home here. Um, but also, you're going to see in the next chapter here, chapter four, we go to Swift Current, um, and there's a lot of people in hockey that. Um, that uh, have some questions to answer. Um, certainly have the spotlight put on them and uh, you know, certainly are in, we're in situations where at the very least could have stopped Graham James from doing what he was doing. 
and uh, you know they're going to have you know they're going to have their names uh, out there now. So um, the fact of the matter is, you know, the idea that Graham James you know prayed alone. I think there's a lot of truth to that in the sense that he was you know a very intelligent manipulator. He was somebody who you know didn't have one way of one type, you know, didn't have one type of person he prayed at or one way of, of praying. You know, he was a very, he was a very calculated, manipulative person who could identify, had the ability to identify that weakness in you, whether it was a broken home, a need for a, a father figure, um, you know, whether, you know, in some cases he would just be outright with players, you know, telling them, telling them that he was a homosexual and that this is, you know, that he needed help with this stuff and that, you know, entered like some kind of agreement. And then there was one, there was other players that he just straight up threatened, um, told that, you know, if you want to be on the line, this so-and-so, this is what you have to do. So this is, you know, as, as horrible as that sounds, um, that just speaks to, to the, uh, you know, the depths in which, uh, which Graham James preyed on people. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, although, you know, he, he certainly was able to pull the wool over a lot of people's eyes, um, you know, there were certainly a lot of rumors going around and then in a few different instances, outright uh, efforts to confront the issue and to take it to people in the highest of places, um, particularly in the Western Hockey League. So stay tuned for that. That story drops at noon. Jeff, thank you for this. Really uh, appreciate your dedication to this project and the stories that you're sharing. Uh, as I said, go beyond hockey and as a, as a father and someone whose kids participate in sports, you, you've given me a lot to think about. And uh, as you mentioned, we'll speak with Greg Haluli in uh, just under an hour's time to uh, to talk to him about his experiences to, and to share his uh, wisdom. Jeff, thanks for this one more time. Thanks so much, guys, for having me on. Appreciate it. I'll talk anytime about it. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back next week. we got to give away that turkey gift card in a moment. But first, Global's Marnie Blunt joins us live on the start. And Marnie, has the first shot of the vaccine been delivered? It has. And you know, it was a little bit, it was quick, but it was definitely exciting to watch. Well, you know, we've been waiting for this, it seems, really for, for nine months now, Marnie. Yeah, absolutely. And you could actually kind of, I mean, I was just watching it through a live feed, but you could kind of feel the excitement in the room. Um, a healthcare worker was, the gentleman was the first one to get it uh, this morning. And it was kind of just like, you know, how you would imagine when you get your flu vaccine, they just ask you a series of the typical questions. If you know, if you've had any kind of reactions to vaccines in the past, if you had your flu vaccine and then boom, it's quickly done. And uh, there's a lot of cheering in the room. And yeah, definitely, definitely an exciting moment for Manitoba. And what's the plan for the next few days? Well, they're going to be doing uh, 900 healthcare workers from today until they uh, plan on having it all wrapped up by Friday. Uh, they're healthcare workers of a certain age uh, who work in either critical, acute, or long-term care facilities. So they're the first ones to get it. And we have heard, uh, even though this is an exciting moment, we have heard Dr. Rusin say, as well as um, uh, Manitoba's premier say, that this is an exciting moment, but we can't get too ahead of ourselves because we still do have a long way to go in this battle against COVID-19. We can't, you know, have a false sense of security because we have a little bit of vaccine in the province now because we still have to get through the holidays and still have to, as Dr. Rusin says, stick to the fundamentals to make it sure we come out of this thing. Global's Marty Blunt joining us live on 680 CJOB with an update on the vaccination in Manitoba. Thank you so much, Marty. We've got 90 seconds. We'll try to 
give away this Manitoba Turkey Producers $25 gift card for Granny's Poultry. Here's the question at 204-780-6868. And we do this often here on The Start. So this should hopefully be easy. On average, we do this 300 days a year. What is it? And we say hello to Liz. Liz is caller number one. Liz is actually the one who offered to make me Christmas dinner when she thought I was going to be at home alone. Liz, thank you so much for that. Um, You're welcome. But I can't give you the gift card without if you don't know the answer. So on average, we do this 300 days a year. What is it? Oh, dear. Um, I'm going to say uh, watch TV. <laughs> no, that's not it. But thanks for trying, Liz. It's a great guess. I mean, it's, it's close. Donna. Yes. What is it? No, not cook. Michael, on average, we do this 300 days a year. What is it? When we wake up, there's a, there's a hint. Oh, we lost him. Fern, do you know what it is? I have coffee. Uh, you have coffee to help stave this off. Victor, do you know what it is? Oh, you know, I, I missed the question because I was on the phone. On you. average, we do this 300 times a year, 300 days a year. What is it? Go drink. <laughs> <laughs> this is every year, not just 2020. <laughs> no, it, that's not it. I'll, I'll give you this hint. We'll have to do this off the air. On average, we wake up 300 times a year like this. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week. In case you are just tuning in and missed it in Global News at 9 o'clock with Jeff Braun. Fantastic. I know, it's a bit emotional, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. Yep. No sleep last night. No. Just, oh. wondering, just wondering. Just wondering. Yep. The first COVID-19 vaccine has been delivered. Global's Marnie Blunt joined us about 15 minutes ago to give us an update, and that's what it sounded like. So we'll have much more on that uh, throughout the day and the coming days as they go through their first batch of some 900 doses of the vaccine. But uh, here, it, here, here we go, Greg. Now, I guess now we start wondering where do we fall in line in this? I think that's a really good point, Brett. It's only natural that you start to wonder, okay, when do I get my turn? When am I going to get my opportunity? Based on age, I suppose my chance will come before yours. Because with the general public, I think that's one of the criteria because we've seen it just within this first round with the 900 uh, or so people that are getting vaccinated in this first round. You have to be working in, of course, a frontline capacity in the health system and your birth date needs to be December 31st, 1970 or earlier. So they've got a cutoff with regard to your date of birth. And so I would fall in that category with regard to age, but obviously uh, my occupation doesn't allow me to be first in line. So, uh, but I think we can, uh, I think we can reasonably expect that those those age markers and those uh, delineate or the, those um, those uh, qualifiers is the word I'm looking for will be in place as we make our way uh, through getting the vaccine out to the general public. We have two things to give away. In this segment, okay, we have the Canadian's Winter Wonderland. 
CarPass. We're doing that based on your text messages on cleanliness standoffs. We'll do that in a moment. Before that, we still got to give away that $25 gift certificate for Manitoba turkey producers for Granny's Poultry Products. We took a couple of questions on the air, didn't have time to complete that task on the air. The question was, on average, we do this 300 days a year. What is it? So let's see how that played out. And uh, I included what happens at the beginning because I was just happened to be getting an alarm going off on my phone. Oh, shoot. I got to pay my... Uh <laughs> I got to pay for my parking. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, the question was, uh, 300 days a year we do this on average. What is it? Wake up grumpy. What's your name? Jan. Hi, Jen. Congratulations. Hi. You're a winner. Woohoo! Right on, Jen. Yes, wake up grumpy. We wake up grumpy 300 days a year, which kind of makes sense because... Usually in a typical year, there'll be maybe 60 days where I'm waking up to go golfing. (laughs) Yep. You know, I worked a lot of morning shifts in the restaurant business after staying out way too late the night before or into the wee hours of the morning. And I just always decided, you know what? Hey, it's going to be a good day. Let's make it a good day and try to be in a good mood. I know I can come across grumpy sometimes and sort of uh, crusty in my opinions on things, but I think for the most part in the morning, I'm maybe over jovial. Yes, I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for you to back me up. Uh, uh, Certainly of the two of us, I know there's no contest (laughs) on that front. And uh, I don't know who's more jovial in the morning, Loren or I, but I I suspect it's sort of close. I would would say that... uh, you have the the sunniest disposition. She comes in. I think she just comes in more like I'm re- I'm here and I'm ready. Whereas I tend to be like, just leave me alone. I'm sort of like in the, I, I go to the Jeff Braun. I went to the Jeff Braun school of mornings. Just leave me alone for an hour. <laughs> I just need to get going a little bit, and then eventually I'll join your party. Is sort of what ends up happening. But yeah, yeah I I try not to be grumpy in the morning. There's just no sense. It makes the day longer. I think, but doesn't stop me from wanting to be in bed longer. How's that? Well, I, and I respect the uh, the effort that goes into that because it's it, it take it takes effort, right? To to push oh, that off. So I think so. I think it's a mindset and yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I don't it's not certainly not natural. Uh, if my mom was here to tell you stories of uh, dumping pots of water on me to get me out of bed in the morning, turning off the breaker in my bedroom so I couldn't listen to my radio, all sorts of stories to get me out of bed. Uh, back when I was a teenager. So no, this, there, there's a lot of effort involved. Now we do have all sorts of stories as well to share with you at 204-780-6868 on your cleanliness standoffs. But as the Highlander would say, there can be only one. But wow, we got some great stories at 204-780-6868. This has to do with a story we shared on our 680 CJOB Instagram about a mom who got fed up with her 10-year-old daughter because her daughter wouldn't pick up the dirty sock she left on the bathroom floor for over a week. This is in uh, Port Townsend, Washington. And the mom decided to turn it into a little museum exhibit. (laughs) First, she put a little sign in front of the sock, and then she added uh, uh, some toy dogs and cows and a shiny monolith. And then eventually it was an entire village exhibit. And it sat there for a week before she and daughter finally decided to remove the whole thing. But it is hilarious. you got to read this story. But your stories as well have been hilarious. Like Shell who says, I was a single mom of two boys. The boys will be boys. 
Teenage boys are the worst when it comes to picking up after themselves. So I asked them to clean their rooms. I asked them, and I asked them, clean their rooms. They didn't do it. My youngest son was the worst. Got to the point, he had clothing halfway up his bed, the entire room, whatnot. So I decided one day I was going to clean up this mess, and I was going to put an end to this BS once and for all. So I gathered all his clothing, his dirty socks, dirty pants, dirty shirts. You couldn't even tell if they were dirty or clean. Mm -hmm. His dirty everything. Mm -hmm. And I took it out. Spread it all over the front lawn for everyone to see. Later that day, he came home from school with a bunch of his buddies. And at age 13, he was mortified to see his gitch and all his clothing in the middle of the front lawn. Needless to say, I never had an issue again. LOL. Wow. Well, that's what you call drawing a line in the sand. This will not happen again. I love it. Are there any that stand out for you, GMAC? Yeah, in the early 80s as a teenager around this time of year, my dad gave me a deadline to clean my room before guests could arrive for Christmas. I know we read this one earlier, but I love it. When I didn't do it in time, he videotaped my messy room to show people visiting for the holiday. When he went to work, I cleaned my room and taped over his tape with recorded laughter from a toy pirate ahead in the background. I thought I won the round, but when I became a parrot, I realized he won because I did, in fact, clean my room before (laughs) Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think we read that. That doesn't sound familiar to me. I like okay. it. It's great. It's a great strategy. So I will read this one here, one of our runners up, and then Greg, you can read the winning text. This one comes from Selena, who says, my cleanliness standoff happened when I briefly lived with a roommate. She would never take out the trash. One day I got it home, or one day I got home, and she had taken the bag out of the bin and tied it up and left it by the door as if to tell me that I needed to take it down. Well, I left it there, and it stayed there for three days until I finally sent her a Snapchat picture of the garbage bag and asked her if she was saving the garbage for something special. She took it down that afternoon. I love it, Selena. Thank you for that. But what is our winning text, Greg? Oh, Doris, we love this one. Got fed up with my son's super disgusting room. He wouldn't clean. I took his bed... And I dragged it to the middle of our large backyard. He came home from work to ask where his bed was. I told him, pigs live outside. She adds, he's long moved out and keeps his house very well. So, Doris, you are our winner today. Thanks for all the incredible stories. So much detail we got to start compiling these things for a book or something to, to print at some point in our lives. Ooh, that'd be a great coffee table book. I think it would. Thank you very much, Doris. You are the winner. You get the Canadians Winter Wonderland Car Pass. Congratulations. Thanks to all for sharing your amazing stories, as always. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is back next week. An hour ago... We had a visit with Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press to discuss his series of articles entitled A Stain on Our Game, The Life and Destructive Legacy of Graham James. Jeff has spent more than three years gathering the heart-wrenching tales of the path of destruction left behind by one of Canada's most notorious sexual predators. Our next guest is a lawyer. He's a former goaltender at Princeton University. He's a former Winnipegger, and he is the author of I Am Nobody, confronting the sexually abusive coach who stole my life. Graham James is the coach. Our, gra- our guest is Greg Galuli. Good morning, Greg. Always an honor to have you with us. 
Oh, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, I know you've been reading Jeff's outstanding work, your reaction to it. Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? I mean, we all, for better or worse, have been introduced to Graham James. Uh, I think what's fascinating is the extent to which the world in which Graham operated is coming to light. And, and Jeff is doing a good job of revealing the the networks of relationships and just who who Graham really was and how a guy like Graham was able to operate. Because a guy like uh, Graham, as talented at being a serial child sexual abuser, he, he couldn't have done it alone. Now, your work as a lawyer provides you with a greater understanding of the limitations that we have in the media when discussing allegations and the rumors in our communities about people like Graham James, who has been convicted of sexually assaulting some of his victims, but you never got the judicial closure, closure that you wanted. What would uh, you know getting that time in court have given you? Well, at one time, I thought it would have given me meaning, uh, and I thought that it would have been important. One of the, the most important things about my recovery has been coming to understand that no third-party validation is going to mean a whit of difference in whether or not I go on to lead a, a, a valuable and, and productive life. It's up to me to forgive myself, and it's up to me to, to deal with uh, what it is I went through with Graham. Now, when you talk about the court system and what you guys in the media can say and, and can't say, you people in the media, uh, didn't mean to be sexist there. Um, the, the the problem is that there are lots of things that a lot of us know in, in quotes about Graham and the situation, but knowing and knowing, if you know what I mean, are two very different things. And yeah, the legal system sucks. And when you're talking about sexual assault that took place four decades ago, uh, it, it's virtually impossible to prove a lot of things. So Peter Nygaard in the news, not only in Winnipeg, but internationally. He's uh, very well known around the world, and he's been arrested, as I'm sure you know, Greg, and faces extradition to the United States for allegations of sex trafficking and other charges. And so many people are texting us this morning. I've heard from them. We've all heard from them over the last several days, over the last several years. There have been rumors about this in Winnipeg for decades. People asking what took so long, and many are asking how will he actually and will he actually have to face a judge, a jury, or any of his, uh, of his alleged victims? These questions pop up every single time with these, quote-unquote, alleged sexual predators. Yeah, and, and first, I listened to the news report and, and uh, the concerns of Nygaard's lawyer about the dangerous situation Nygaard now faces behind bars with COVID. My heart truly, deeply goes out to Peter Nygaard and the danger he currently faces. It sounds he... like you mean that, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sick and tired of the concerns about the needs of these horrible people. Think of Jelaine Maxwell. Her lawyers go on and on about the risks she faces and how uncomfortable her, her place behind bars is. She's associated with Epstein, you know, just an absolute monster of a human being. Uh, when Graham comes up, you know, everything was about, you know, Graham shouldn't be behind bars until he's convicted. Graham's a wonderful guy who returned his Hockey News Man of the Year award. Peter Nygaard is, you know, he's a frail old man. Who, who could Peter Nygaard hurt now? It's enough. I mean, come on. I mentioned uh, Jeffrey Epstein and the four uh, docy mini doc series on Netflix about, um, about his story and about the way he operated 
And when I read the allegations, <clears throat> excuse me, against <clears throat> Peter Nygaard, there are so many similarities, once again, allegedly, in how they operated. Yeah. Look, you have to be pretty good at what you do to abuse as many people as they did, right? I mean, these weren't the run-of-the-mill child sexual abusers. or These were very talented sexual abusers, and their, their talents lie in their psychology and psychopathy and their ability to win over not only the victims but the people who populate the worlds around them. And so with Epstein, you, you had pillars of society and academics and business leaders. And in Graham, you had the, the cream of the, the crop in, in terms of uh, the people in the hockey world. And it, it's, it's no accident who these people are and how they operate. They are psychopaths, and, and their, their essence is defined by their ability to win over the victims and win over the world around them. Has anybody ever asked you an unfortunate question like, can't you just get over it? And by well, asking that question, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just wondering if, if you this is the kind of crap that you have to face when you talk about this stuff. Well, absolutely. And look, it's the obvious answer. And it, it, believe me, the, the thought has crossed my mind. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could just get over it? And it's what I need to do. But as I write in my book, the, the most obvious answer, the most necessary answer is the hardest answer. And, and what people should be asking themselves is, uh, not not why why isn't that the right thing to be saying to me? It's why can't he get over it? Why can't the victim just put it behind him or her? You talk about trying to forgive yourself, Greg. Can you expand on that a little bit? It hurts my heart when I hear you say that, and I've heard you say it not only uh, just a few moments ago, but in pr- prior conversations with you and in other interviews that you've done. Well, first and foremost, I'm a physical giant of a man who could have destroyed my abuser, Graham, with one punch to the the face. In many ways, I had all of the power and he had none. Yet in the the world where I was stuck, Graham had the key to everything I wanted and all of the power. And I was was without power. Excuse me. So the the problem that I've had is that I could have stopped Graham way back when, 79, 80, 81, 82. And so everyone who has come after me is as a result of my failure to do the right thing. I, I, and, Greg, I, this just really hurts me to hear you say that you carry that. That's how you genuinely feel, that, that it's anybody that came after you, that you have <laughs> had some sort of role in, the, in what Graham James did to them? Well, I have good days and I have bad days, and I have good days when all of the, the therapy that I've been through uh, takes root, and I can say all of the right things, and I was a victim, I was groomed, I was powerless, he had uh, this, that, and the other thing over me, and, and how could I have done anything but go along with him? But then I have moments of clarity where all of that sort of falls away, and I'm left with the stark reality that, you know, I, I must have wanted it. I uh, must have let this happen. Why me? Why, why did he go after me and not, you know, so-and-so on, on the team? There must have been something about me. And that's when those dark thoughts take over and become the reality. And I refer to them as the moments of clarity because those are the thoughts native to me. Those are the thoughts that are generated from within me. Those aren't thoughts that come from a doctor. And then I start thinking that my doctors are conning me. And, and it's, it's a very bizarre 
it's carnage. I, Jeff referred to it as, as carnage, and I referred to it in my book as carnage. The sexual abuse is horrible. The acts of sex, it's grotesque, and it, it is beyond comprehension. But the true horror of sexual abuse is the self-abuse that the victim undertakes after. Well, and, you know, you sort of land on something that I think we all kind of go through. We, we all have those moments of regret where we're like, why didn't I do this or why didn't I do that? And we might feel various varying levels of shame. And so it, it, it almost, as sad as it is, it also makes sense that you would feel these deep feelings because what you experienced was so profoundly awful versus what I might, you know, I might regret not doing something last week that might have made a, a minor change in my life. Dr. Phil, the check is in the mail. <laughs> no, right. but, you know, it, 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 it's accurate and it's interesting. And just to circle back to Jeff's piece, what's, what I'm finding interesting this week is that all of the pent-up anger I have towards myself and towards Graham is now being directed towards the third parties who enabled Graham. The people who, in the aftermath, still maintain a relationship with Graham. I mean, in Jeff's pieces, Jeff refers to going back and forth, exchanging messages, not directly with Graham, but through intermediaries. Graham has friends. Graham has supporters. Graham's friends and supporters believe a lot of things that Graham says. Graham is still telling lies. We know, and Jeff said, you don't go from 1971 to 1982, 83, 84 with Theo and Sheldon. But we know that because he abused me for a good chunk of that period. Graham hasn't accepted responsibility for that, and Graham hasn't res- uh, accepted responsibility for so many others. But the, the thing that's bothering me this week is the people around Graham, many of whom are at the highest levels of hockey, both within the province of Manitoba and who are involved in the NHL, they listen to Graham. They are spouting lies that come from Graham. They are choosing to live in a world of reality where they didn't really know Graham, uh, but somehow they're still friends with a, a repeated convicted serial child sexual abuser. They're, they're living a, a life of denial, and it upsets me to no end. What is it that those people would have had to lose at different points in time to come forward, to point the finger, to to say something isn't right here? Because you always talk about what you had to lose and what was on the line for you as some of the reasons why you went along with what Graham was doing to you. What did, what did he have on these other people? Well, well let, let's take a step back. I mean, step into my shoes for a minute. Nobody was taken advantage of or, or, or you know, tricked by Graham more than me. I mean, Graham got to me physically. So if anyone out there is at all concerned about looking stupid for having been so close to Graham and, and not know, having known about it or not having done anything about it, you get a pass from me because I was close to Graham. I was closer to Graham than any of you were, and he tricked me more than he tricked you. So, you know, get over your egos. Imagine if people had just had a dose of humanity and it said, you know what, I didn't see it. I am so sorry. I will bend over backwards to make sure that these victims are treated better than any person who was involved in hockey in the province of Manitoba. That didn't happen. No one decided to dig deeper into who Graham was to see if there were other victims. No one went from team to team to team to team to try to figure out whether there were others of us. When we came forward, people often believed lies. We were bad kids making it up. We weren't victims. It was consensual, all of this stuff. 
those people should be em- embarrassed. And had they just accepted reality, had, had they done the right thing, they could have undone that wrong and they could still undo that wrong. But I don't hear a cacophony of voices out there of people taking responsibility. What I see are people running for cover. The school board in St. James, I approached them. Graham abused me on, on school property, ran for cover and immediately lawyered up. St. James School Division, shame on you. The hockey coaches who are around Graham, who are perpetuating his lies, who are still maintaining a friendship with this guy after all of this, shame on you. What do we say about Epstein's friends, the people who supported him after he was convicted? We say, how, how could Alan Dershowitz have been so stupid to have kept up a friendship? Well, I'm asking the same question to the people in Hockey Manitoba. Greg O'Hooley is our guest. He is the author of I Am Nobody, Confronting the Sexually Abusive Coach Who Stole My Life. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time as always, sir. Oh, thanks very much for uh, giving me a voice here. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.